Good morning. Wow, it's been two years since I was here, and you've kind of filled in some, a lot of the places around here. That's great. Uh, did you pick out all the songs? <laughs> the, but you, uh, whoa, okay, you uh, chose the ones. Did you have my notes? Oh, I, as, as, we, as we sang the songs, I thought, wow, that's my notes. <laughs> and uh, how did he get them? So, well, this morning, I want to talk with you about God's call and following it. That actually, for the church where Charlotte and I worship, that's their vision statement. Actually, it's know God's call and follow it. And every aspect of the ministry that goes on in that church comes out of that vision statement that people would know God's call in their lives and follow it. Knowing God's call is something that Paul talks about. And I'd like you to, to look at yeah, Philippians chapter 3, and we want to look at verses 1 through 10. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along there, or the text will also be up on the screen. Paul writes, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are are mature should should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Would you pray with me? Father, your word instructs us in how to live. And we thank you that you have given us life through Christ 
and that we have the privilege of walking with you day by day. We pray that your spirit would open our eyes to the things that you would teach us this morning from your word. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. When we think about the book of Philippians, there are four areas that we look at this particular section. Paul taking a look backward. Paul talking about pressing on. His challenge, follow me. And then our citizenship. In verse 12 of chapter 3, the latter part of the verse, it says, Jesus Christ took hold of me. Now think about what those words mean. Christ seized him. Christ apprehended him. He stopped him in his pursuit of error. He had delivered him from the consequences of his sin. And looking back, Paul could see how Christ used the events in his life to bring him to himself. There was the empty tomb. Although Scripture doesn't tell us that Paul went to the empty tomb, I can't imagine that he did not go because of the teaching or the Christ's resurrection. He had seen Christians who could not be intimidated by his threats. Paul had guarded the coats of those who were stoning Stephen to death. He heard Stephen praying for those who were killing him. He heard Stephen say, I see the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And he saw him die in triumph. Paul remembers his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. He remembers those words before Christ changed his name. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul remembers his blindness. His healing by Ananias when he laid hands upon him. You see, when Christ took hold of Paul, everything changed. And it was still changing in Paul's life. Paul realized that salvation was for today. It's not something that we look for When we die, it begins the day we accept Christ as our personal Savior. Paul knew he was going to be with the Lord, but he knew also that salvation was much, much more. Therefore, in verse 12, the first part of the verse, he writes, not that I have already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. The words, I press on to make it my own. The phrase press on literally means to aggressively chase after something. It's like, like a hunter, a big game hunter. And he gets a shot and the animal keeps going. But he presses on after that. He pursues it with swiftness. He pursues it so that he can overtake it. So that he can apprehend it. Well, Paul 
was free now. He was free from anything and everything that would keep him from being what God wanted him to be. You see, knowing Christ for Paul was paramount in his mind. We look at verses 10 and 11. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and the participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's salvation experience had taken place some 30 years prior to this. Yet he had greater heights to climb. Paul was pursuing Christ-likeness. Paul had a new heart. He had new desires. And his affections were transformed. He wanted to please God, who had shown him mercy in Christ Jesus. Which brings us to a question. What are you pursuing? Are you pressing on? Are you allowing God to change the desires of your heart? Are you still in the race? Or are you waiting just for heaven? Look at Paul's words again in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Some years ago, there was a Nike commercial. And as the commercial went on, a voice came over the television saying, I've missed 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost over 300 games. 26 times I was asked to take the last shot, which, was a, which would have won the game, and I missed it. I failed over and over and over again. And that's why I succeed. Those words were spoken by Michael Jordan, probably one of the greatest basketball players that has ever lived. And as a follower of Christ, you probably know what it means to fail. However, failure for us as believers is not really an option. Because like Michael Jordan, we want to move on. As followers of Christ, we will succeed when we're straining, when we're stretching, when we're putting forth all of our energies as we pursue God's purpose in our lives. Letting God work through us. When you look at Paul's life, he knew that he was on the path to heaven. He knew that he was on the path for a crown of life. Therefore, he said, Come along with me. Take a walk with me. Get out of your box. You know, so many times, Christians, we get in our box. We can do this, we can do that, but we can't do this, we can't do that. Back when I was a young deacon in the church down in Canton, New Jersey, Canton Baptist Church, little country church, about the size of you guys. The pastor decided he had this brilliant idea. 
And the idea was that all of the deacons were going to be in charge of a Sunday evening service. Now, that tells you how long ago it was. Sunday evening service. That was like 40 years ago. And being in charge meant the deacon was going to preach. And I said, hmm. Well, I was about the fourth guy in. There were seven of us. And I had a friend who pastored a church down on the Delaware Bay in a town called Fortescue. If you all ever go fishing in the Delaware Bay, you get down to Fortescue. Well, they didn't have Sunday evening service. So I asked this guy to come preach for me. Well, I never told the pastor, never told any of the other deacons, and it comes my night. This guy shows up, and he preaches. Well, when I introduced him, my words were this. God may have called me to be a deacon, but he never called me to preach. Now, since then, I've gotten out of my box. But that was a box that I was in. And I needed to move on. I needed to get out of my comfort zone. I needed to let God change the desires of my heart. I needed to let God work in me in ways beyond anything I could think or imagine. And He's done that. I pressed on. In verse 14, Paul says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul presses on to win the prize. Don't you love it when you're watching something where someone beats all the odds and wins? Charlotte and I have been watching a, a television show called American Ninja Warrior. Any of you watch that? a little crazy (laughs) but you know as we watch it we feel great when the people get through all the obstacles and when they fall into the water it's oh we feel for them this week actually what we do is we DVR them so we don't have to watch the commercials So usually we're a week or two late. But this week we're watching, and they had this contest between South Americans, Europeans, and Americans. And the poor South Americans, and not South America, actually Latin America because it included Mexico, uh, they don't have all the equipment to work on, so they didn't do very well. But, you know, everybody felt sorry for them when they fell in the water. And the Americans, they were doing pretty well. And they thought they were moving ahead. And then this one gal who had done extremely well, she got up and she missed the very first obstacle. She fell. But you know what took place there? The team decided they're going to let her do another obstacle. The team didn't quit on her. 
The team saw her accomplishing. And then they put her in an obstacle that the captain was supposed to run because he was going to run two obstacles right after each other. Well, they put her in this one obstacle that a woman had never completed. Not only did she complete it, she did it in such a way that she got her team a lot of points. Then when it came up to the last obstacle, they had another fellow who had completed this obstacle, and he was the third, I think, the second one to run. There were going to be two Americans running in that obstacle. You know what? He didn't complete it. So the captain of the team who had rested had to complete it where the Americans would have finished it. I guess it would have been a tie. But this guy had never completed part of the obstacle. It was one kind of like rock climbing when you're going up and down and you're holding on to these things. He had never been able to get through that. But this time, he did. And the American team won. When we think about that, why did they win? It's because of perseverance. They pushed on. They pressed on. They didn't give up. And you see that over and over again with these American ninja warriors. They don't quit. I'd like to give you even a better story that deals with the pursuit of Christ. D.L. Moody, who many of you probably know, is one of the greatest evangelists who ever lived. He died in the early 1900s, but he led millions of people to Christ over a 40-year period. He founded three Christian schools. He launched a great publishing company. He established a world-renowned conference center at that time, and he inspired literally thousands of preachers to conduct revivals. But his goal at age 17 was to make $100,000. You see, he was a shoe salesman at that time. And that's what he wanted to do, make $100,000. Then at age 18, he came to know Christ as his Savior, and that changed his life. Henry Varley, who was an English evangelist who became a contemporary of Moody, said, it remains to be seen what God will do with a man who will give himself up totally to the Lord. And Moody endeavored to be that man. And the world marveled at how wonderfully God used him. When Moody met Christ, his focus, his passions, his desires no longer were about pursuing of the making of money. They were to know Christ. As a follower of Christ, what are your goals? What are your passions? What are you striving for? Well, Paul goes on in verses 15 and 16. He says, all of us then 
who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Paul is talking about the progress in the Christian life. The idea is that you've reached a certain point in your journey. And Paul is saying, don't stop. Keep moving down the path and follow my example. Look at verse 17. He says, join with others in following my example, brothers. Take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Should you and I tell others like Paul did? Follow my example? Absolutely. We should tell others, follow my example. But then you say, hey, Lynn, that's a pretty bold statement. You're a sinner. Yeah. You make mistakes. Yeah. You really blow it at times. Yeah. I do. And I know all of those things well. But I'm not quitting. And you shouldn't be quitting. I am going to press on until the Lord takes me home. You know, even Paul spoke about his dissatisfaction with his spiritual majority, maturity. He said, I'm chief of sinners. He said, I do what I don't want to do. But he presses on. He was aware that to conform to the image of Christ took work. He was aware that it was a process. And he was moving forward. As he said, he he hasn't arrived, but he was confident that God would complete that which he had begun in his life. In fact, Paul said those words to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says this, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul wants his readers, which includes you and I, to follow his example in practical living. It's not a mechanical lifestyle where we mimic someone. Or a lifestyle where we live in their box or a box that we've made for ourselves. Paul's lifestyle showed true character. It demonstrated his beliefs. It demonstrated his passions. It demonstrated his convictions. And what you and I truly believe will be seen in our character and in our lifestyle. Gary Ingrid, in his book, A Call to Excellence, writes, A large group of European pastors came to one of D.L. Moody's Northfield Bible conferences in Massachusetts in the late 1800s. He said, following the European custom of the time, each guest put his shoes outside the room to be cleaned by the hall servants overnight. 
Now, there was a problem with this. In America, there were no hall servants. Moody was walking the dormitory halls that night, and he saw the shoes, and he determined not to embarrass his brothers. He mentioned the need for some of the, to some of the ministerial students who were there. And that was met with silence and pious excuses of why they couldn't help. So Moody returned to the dorm. He gathered up the shoes, and alone in his room, the world's famous evangelist began to clean and polish the shoes. Only the unexpected arrival of a friend in the midst of his work revealed his secret. When the foreign visitors arrived the next morning and got up, their shoes were shined, and they never knew by whom. Moody told no one. But one of his, the friend who arrived told a few people, and during the rest of the conference, different men volunteered to shine the shoes in secret. That story that is recorded there gives us insight into why D.L. Moody was used by God. He was a man with a servant's heart. And that was the basis of his true greatness. Moody's actions, they demonstrated his character. They demonstrated his lifestyle. They demonstrated his attitude toward life. He was a unique servant of God. And so can we be. Our thinking, our desires, our passions, our interests, our trusts tell us who we really are our reactions to life, our responses to people show our attitude toward life. Our lack of interest or our interest show our spiritual growth. And they tell us what direction we're going in. We're earth people by birth, placed here at this moment in time. However, when we trusted Christ as our Savior, we became heaven people by the new birth. And now our role is to live in such a way that others will see Christ in us and desire the Lord in their lives. Again, look at the words of verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Well, what should our lifestyle look like? What should we be doing as followers of Christ? Well, Paul writes to the... Corinthians, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and, and 20, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. We've changed. The old has passed away. Behold, new things have come. And because of those new things, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
As ambassadors for Christ, we should live a lifestyle that produces spiritual fruit. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 26. It's on the screen. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We should be examining our lives. What does our lifestyle look like to the world around us? Are the fruits of the Spirit becoming more and more visible in our lives? The Galatians had actually put aside the fruit of the Spirit. And they were following a philosophy that taught that the satisfaction of the physical aptitude, I can't get that word out, (laughs) physical aptitude was the highest aim of man. It's all about my comfort, my desires. And because of that, many of the believers in Galatia had adopted that attitude. Paul writes concerning, we think about this, in verses 18 and 19, he says, For as often as I have told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Although Paul doesn't single out the Galatians here, again, they possibly he was thinking about them. The Galatians were professing Christians, but they had adopted tendencies of the world. Their focus was on physical desires. They were more interested in bringing glory to themselves than bringing glory to God. One of the Galatians wrote, to eat, drink, eat and drink each day and to give oneself no trouble. That is the God of wise men. They were engrossed with self-indulgence. They had an obsession with material things, which raises some questions for us. What is uppermost in our thinking? Are our interests in spiritual things or things of the world? What direction does our thought process tell us that we are going? The philosophies of this world influence us. Many times, like the Galatians, we can get caught up in those same philosophies. When we think about our world, when we think about what is honest, it's basically all about me. That's what our world is teaching. We need to fight against that because we're not of this world. 
Paul writes in verse 20, the first part of the verse, our citizenship is in heaven. Stuart Bristow, in this little book called A Bible Commentary for Laymans on Philippians, called Abound for Joy, writes this, Christians have a unique role to play. They are intended to be earth people, which they are by birth, and heaven people, which they are by new birth, both at the same time. This means that they are people of two realms, living in one of those realms. Their role is to tell the realm where they live what the other realm is like. Their conversation is in heaven, which means that they are citizens of heaven, but they live on earth to bring a touch of heaven wherever they go. This sounds rather delightful, and it certainly is. But it also has problems for the Christian who tries to function in this manner. The main difficulty is that earth operates in a totally different manner from heaven. If the Christian isn't careful, he can become so involved with the philosophies of the world where he lives that instead of bringing heaven to earth, he lets earth rob him of his enjoyment of heaven. Think about that. Heaven is our home. Therefore, we can't let the things of this world rob us of the joys of heaven. We're Christ's ambassadors, and we're to show the world that Christ makes a difference. And because of that, because He makes a difference, we can have joy no matter what our circumstances. We have a privilege of showing an unbelieving world out there a better way and point them to heaven. Paul fully expected Christ <coughs> excuse me, to return it at any moment. And so in verses 20, the latter part of the verse in verse 21, he writes, And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. Generation after generation have looked for Christ's return. One thing certain as we are here this morning, his return's one day closer right now than it was yesterday. We don't know when he'll return. But like Paul, we wait. And while we're waiting, we are prompt to press on to the call. I was hoping I wouldn't need this water, but all of a sudden, I have that tickle in my throat. <coughs> That's better. C.S. Lewis said, I think all Christians would agree with me if I said that Christianity seems at first to be all about morality, all about duties and rules and guilt 
and virtue. Yet it leads you on and out of all that into something beyond. One has a glimpse of a country where they do not talk about those things except perhaps as a joke. Everyone there is filled full with what we should call goodness as a mirror and filled with light. But they don't call it goodness. They do not call it anything. They're not even thinking about it. They're too busy looking at the source from which it comes. And that source is Christ. And that is what we should be looking at so that Christ can be seen in our lives. We are kingdom people. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote concerning the Christian in his book, The Life of Peace. Though you're away from home, remember that the honor and the dignity of the great kingdom to which you belong is in your hand. There are those other people around and about you who do not belong to your kingdom. They're watching you. And they will judge your country by you. Like Paul and like every Christian I know, you're not perfect. We're not perfect. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. But we should be moving forward. Your faith should be growing. Your trust should be increasing. Your desire to walk with the Lord should be intensifying. Your passion for the lost should be expanding. And your desire for the things of the Lord should be escalating day by day. You know, Christ said in Revelation chapter 3 to the church at Philadelphia, And he says the same thing to you folks here. He said, I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. As a body of Christ... You have not denied the name of the Lord. You've continued to move forward. And Christ wants to use this body of believers in ways far beyond, I think, anything you can think or imagine. As you take a look back, you can see what God has done. But you can't live there. And as you press on, you can say to the community, around you, look at us and follow us and we'll show you heaven. Hear God's call and follow it. So many times we think about when God calls someone, He calls them into the pasture, He calls them to be a missionary. God calls you to be his ambassador. Whether you're working as a school teacher, whether you're working as a bricklayer, whether you're working as an accountant, or any profession, God has called you to be his ambassador 
where he has placed you. And your responsibilities in that call are no different than your pastor. You represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords wherever you are. Let's pray together. Father God, as our King and as our Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you walk with us. You desire a relationship with us. And you make it possible through Jesus Christ. We pray that as we leave this place, as we continue on our journey, that we would press on toward the high calling that has been given to each one of us in serving the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, all that we have, all that we are, is yours. You've created us. You've allowed us to be part of your kingdom. Guide us, Lord, that we might bring glory to you in everything that we do and say. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.